Hi, and welcome to Profoundly. I'm your host, Pips Taylor, and this podcast harnesses the wisdom of a one-of-a-kind global community. Profoundly is for women who want to grow, learn, connect, and thrive. Each week, I'll be chatting to industry leaders and experts in our network. We'll be giving you a taster of what Femme Foundry is all about, and I'll be joined by guests to discuss burning issues for us today and sharing their life experience and inspiring us to just be. Fem Foundry is a one-stop digital space for anyone who identifies as a woman to connect, learn, unite and belong freely on their own terms. With this podcast, we'll be bringing our leaders to you, sharing industry expertise, personal stories and advice to help you navigate every element of your life, from the professional to the very personal. No jargon, no filters, just open, honest conversation. This is real talk about the issues that affect real women, along with expert guidance, informed analysis and honest discussion. You are very welcome here. If you want to just listen, we hope that you'll find something to inspire, educate, challenge, or spark your curiosity. And if you want to join the debate, connect with our guests, or find out more by adding your voice to our global community at Fem Foundry, our doors are always open. We're here to start the conversation, but we're hoping you'll be the ones to finish it. Welcome to the club. Today, I am delighted to welcome the inspirational Deborah Williams, founder of the Women's Association. As part of her master's dissertation, Deborah explored the stories of women in leadership positions across a range of industries. Her findings opened her eyes to the realities of being a woman in the working world and the challenges that we can face, particularly in the corporate landscape. Determined to make a difference and educate and inspire the next generation of girls, Deborah set up the Women's Association. In her own words, she's described her mission as working to change systems, cultures and mindsets that make women and girls feel like we have to be anything other than our authentic selves at work and in the wider world. Last week, November the 18th, was Equal Pay Day, the day in the year where women effectively, on average, stop earning relative to men because of the gender pay gap. Now, this really shows the extent to which discrimination and equality is sadly still a big issue for women in the workplace and something I'm sure we've all come up against at some point in our lives. This is such an important conversation and I'm so pleased that we're able to discuss it today on Profoundly. Deborah, welcome. What inspired you to set up the Women's Association? Why did you do it? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. With the Women's Association, it wasn't something that I planned to do. I feel like it was, it almost found me. Um, And I always describe it as like a burdening passion that I had, that I couldn't shake off. Um, So literally, I was someone throughout education that I was just in a bubble. I was going for education because I had to, because I had to. And whatever I was told to do, I, I was doing, basically. Um, until my final year of university, when I had to make a decision to do my dissertation and what I was going to do it on. And for me, that was one of the first times I had to make what felt like a big decision that would affect impact my future. Because obviously I wanted to come up with a good grade. And at the time I was battling between wanting to be an accountant or going, being like an auditor. Um, and then... I did the dissertation on women in leadership positions and how far they've come. That was the first title. And so for me, I was looking at articles. I was looking for literature that could back up my title, that could tell me women have come this far um, and it's like women have progressed. And that's what I was looking for, but I couldn't find anything on that topic. And then when I was doing 
I went to do interviews with women to speak to them in leadership positions to understand like why are there like so few women in positions of leadership and the stories I heard literally broke my heart and it was the first time that I almost knew that there was um bad things that happened and so that was the first time that I was hearing about sexual harassment I was hearing about people not being promoted someone was told that our company's not ready for a female partner yet and I was just like how is this happening and why are we not talking about it more it was like why what is this problem why does this exist how can we solve it? That's amazing. So you really were impassioned to take action and actually, you know, and actually do something and act on that. And that's incredibly impressive. So what kind of work does the Women's Association do Like after you set it up? So the first thing was to run events uh, because I just felt like there's more women in university that don't know about these issues. And there's women in the corporate world that aren't getting a chance to share their stories. So the first thing was to bring those two um, groups together to have women share their stories so that we could be educated, but they could also be empowered um, through their story sharing. And um, off the back of that, I then took the events to secondary schools and colleges because I was just like, they need to, we need to have this conversation earlier on. Like we can't wait until we're in university um, to start to understand that this problem exists. And then I set up the Women's Association and... Um, the plan was to increase the visibility of women um, through a picture series, but also do interviews of women to understand their story, their journey, and just document us as we are, as opposed to um, living up to a specific idea of what it means to be a woman or the role that society says a woman should play. Um, so we've got a photographic series called For the Woman, um, where I took pictures of 109 women initially, and we've got more coming out um, in March, um, where we're just documenting who, like the different women that exist, what we do, um, so that also we can move past some of the old fashioned images that we've seen. And with the For The Women campaign, what are you hoping to achieve? What's the goal? I feel like when I looked at the history of women um, and I looked at it from a kind of uh, literature stance, but also imagery, I felt like there was a lot of information written that speaks about how women have progressed and women are working a lot more than ever before. Women are seen in positions of leadership. But when I looked at the imagery, we've gone from seeing the woman who has eight hands and is juggling everything uh, with a smile on her face to um, seeing women that are changing the world, breaking the glass ceiling. Um, but we don't see all the other women in between like yeah the, you're right there's nothing in between yeah yeah and so ultimately when I've spoken to a lot of girls they almost feel like they are pressured to have to want to change the world or to have to want to be a CEO one day and they don't have to and for me it's about showing the younger generation that there are so many things that you can do there are so many roles available there are so many different women doing different things and that should be seen celebrated valued just as much as the anomaly CEO woman or the woman who's breaking the glass ceiling almost feels like a movement and a coming together of all of us to say we're working to change the image of women for the future generation. I love that. And also it's like it's creating that connection, isn't it, between audience and subject matter. And if you see someone who is, you know, that you relate to or uh, looks like you, that you aspire to be in a lineup, then 
you're more likely to be able to say that's achievable. You also have your Executive Challenge programme, which is aimed at girls between 12 and 17. And you also have the School Club, which you launched during lockdown. How important is it to reach girls at such a young age? Extremely important, especially because of the day and age we're in. Um, the, the, the 12 to 17 year old girls are so much more advanced than I was back then and even like previous generations when I've spoken to them they are um asking questions they are just so aware of everything that's going on especially because of social media they see so much and they get so much information and for me I we recently um on International Day of the Girl we actually launched the Girls Association which is a network for girls um to connect to have conversation just giving them a a forum where they can take the thoughts that they have in their mind and really discuss it amongst each other and the curiosity they have discuss it amongst each other but also ask older people questions real questions not questions that they feel like um have been kind of architected by their teachers or parents just real things that they want to know and get real answers I feel like when we are young well generally who we become and the dreams we have are um, informed by the information we receive. And from a young age, um, girls especially are told that they have to dream within a certain box. And so as they get older, the box starts to almost get smaller and smaller. As much as there's so much information that is limiting a lot of their dreams because of this idea of patriarchy and, and the role women, a lot of people feel women should play, I want to saturate their their environments, their minds with different information and diversify the information we're, we're given to the girls to say, yes, there are there have been barriers for women. Yes, women have been held back um, in the past. And there's so many different things that women have gone through sexual harassment in the workplace and, and all different experiences. But we are really working to create a different world for you. And so we're not just telling you to dream big because it sounds cool. Um, we're telling you to dream big because we are working to make sure that you can make your dreams a reality. And it's it's really important for me to be able to build this network of girls that not only we are empowering through the information we give them and the access we give them to organisations and leaders, but we are allowing them to empower each other because there's still so much brokenness with regards to women to women or females female relationships that have a big role to play in how we progress and so if we can almost nip it in the bud from when they're younger and explain the importance of building strong female-to-female relationships um I feel like it can help change a lot of the things in the future and a lot of what I'm working um to achieve I may not be alive to see the the result of but I truly hope that it will become a ripple effect. I think that's brilliant. It's also it's having that idea of community and belonging at such a young age is is so important. What is the best way, do you think, to engage girls around 12 and 17? What works best to engage them? I had to ask them because I felt like I'd seen a number of different programmes and projects that I'd also taken part in Um and I was a mentor for a number of girls at a school in South London. And one of the sessions that I had, the mentoring session, the girl, one of the girls said to me that she doesn't actually know what 
she's supposed to get out of the mentoring. Um, that she just like she just signed up to it because her school said like if you want to, and her parents were like you should get a mentor, but she doesn't know the benefits of having a mentor. And then on top of that, they have like people say, okay, we have designed this program for you, and this is what you're going to be involved in, but they haven't been asked. Like, what do you need? What did they say? What did they say to you when you said, like, what, uh, you know, how do you want to, how do you want to do this? How do you want to work? What was their response? So they said a big word was access, but in partnership with access is the support because they said oftentimes they would be given work experience, for example, but no support on how to navigate themselves, what questions to ask, what questions um, that will get certain answers and how to navigate that, how to build actual relationships. So that even if you do work experience, you may be able to come back in summer and do more. Um, and so for them, it was kind of like one of the girls said, she feels like schools are supposed to help you develop as a whole person. But she feels like the focus in schools is just on your grades. And so your mental well-being isn't important unless they have an incident. So if someone in the case of that girl um, unfortunately committed suicide, then they will have like a lot of conversations around mental health. But she was like, we've been struggling for way before that. Um, so for them to just have that one experience that brings on their conversation is not good enough. And, and it all comes down to a lot of the time it, it's social media and the expectations that a lot of the girls put on themselves with regards to how to look, how to act, how to dress, um, and so they get a lot of pressure. They experience re like bullying. And she was just like, we need more support. What do you think the greatest challenge to date has been for the Women's Association? Well, there's a few. I feel like one is me not being taken seriously. Um, I have a different style of leadership. Um, and... I wasn't com comfortable with this for a long time because I felt like, okay, if you do business, you have to be like hungry. You have to show you're hungry for it. And you have to almost be aggressive with regards to how you take on business. And I had a, a battle for a long time where I believed in what I was creating more than I believed in my ability to do it. And so there was a battle. There was almost like a battle within myself of how do I build this organization that I feel really needs to exist and I feel really can help create change if I don't believe in myself enough to drive it? Um, and it's something I'm still working out. I actually read that you said that one of your greatest challenges is with yourself and sort of trying to be all the different facets that society expects us to be as women. And I, you know, how have you kind of managed to overcome that? It's a daily thing. I feel like. It's just trying to keep myself grounded in who I am and um, enjoy the experience of evolving. I feel like a lot of the times it's the pressure of by now I should have been doing X. Whereas if I just really experience the moment and experience the time that I'm in, I won't put all that pressure on myself. And it's one of the things that caused me to even want to start the Women's Association before um, I set it up in 2019. I had a really bad breakdown. I was extremely, extremely depressed. I didn't want to be alive. But it was one of those things where it was a really, really dark moment. And there was a big part of why I got to that place is because I felt betrayed by almost 
everything, betrayed by the idea of love, betrayed by um, the idea of, of the fact that I felt like life was supposed to be easy, like easier than I was experiencing it. At the time I was studying two masters, I was working two NHS jobs to fund the masters. And that was because I genuinely wanted to pursue my passion. And it was just like everything around me was crumbling. I was experiencing really bad racism at the workplace. I had to leave um, and take them to the tribunal. And it was just really traumatic. And then on top of that, I had other things like personally that I was going through. And I just felt like a lot of the reasons why I was in that position and I got to that place was because of what I thought I was supposed to be doing because of what other people said you should be doing by a certain time you have a biological clock so you need to sort out your life basically before you get to a certain age so you can get married and start having children um I was told that I should just be a company secretary because ultimately when I have a family and kids they're going to be my life um I was told the maximum that I they this person could um see me earning was 40,000 pounds because of the type of role they think I should do who are these um, people people that I held really highly and they were like um gosh mentors to me at, at a stage in my life and so it was really I just felt betrayed so this is kind of like the opposite of what you would expect a mentor to do you know limiting you and not kind of you know lifting you up and sort of working on a, like a vision and a journey you were limited by your experience how did you kind of break out of, of that and, and and overcome it creating change for women and girls that helped me to break out of that because like I said I was someone that would just follow whatever someone would tell me so when I was told that, I started to look into company secretary courses, um, started to look into how I could get into that. Because in my mind, when you put certain people on a pedestal in your life, you just kind of feel like they're older, they're wiser, they know what they're talking about. So let me just go with what they're saying. The fact that you've exper- you experienced this, you know, personally, and, and some of the issues that you've you've mentioned there, to then kind of be spurred on to to set up what you have done and to really kind of create change is so admirable. Obviously, we're all about leaders here at Fem Foundry. What do you think, in your opinion, makes a great leader? So I would say high levels of EQ, which is emotional intelligence, um, but also a term I've recently come across is CQ, which is cultural intelligence as well. Um, And I say that, and it's interesting with emotional intelligence, because I feel like, even from my son, I feel like he's 17 months old. I feel like when I look at him, at what point do you almost need to not learn EQ, but like relearn it? Because I feel like it's something that we have within us from when we're younger I I think it is but I think a lot of people don't understand emotional intelligence and can't engage with it so I'm actually I'm really interested to hear what you say here I feel we have it from when we're young but I feel when we get to the like educational system the focus becomes on IQ and it's like you need IQ to get to the next stage because you need to um you need to kind of pass this exam then when you get to the workplace again when you're in junior positions it's very much about your skills and what you bring to the table skill-wise, then when you get to leadership, it's like, okay, well, now you need to be able to manage people. You need to have empathy and you need to have emotional intelligence. And it's kind of like, well, it's been almost drained out of us throughout the whole educational system. Now it's something that even though I feel we have it from when we're young, we have to relearn almost um, and we have to unlock it within us, which is is um, 
something that's always been such an interesting thought to me. But I feel like emotional intelligence is extremely important when it comes to being a leader. And what about cultural intelligence? What can you explain a little bit about what that what that means for you and and how it fits in within uh, sort of leadership skills? So cultural intelligence is basically um, an awareness of different people's lived experiences um, and being able to understand how to navigate relationships with different people in an organisation based on their their cultural experience. So I'll give you an example. Um, When I did my recent master's in gender and women's studies, I did my dissertation on black women's experiences in the workplace. And uh, one of the women said to me that when she's at work, she has been told multiple times to, to not use her hands a lot um, because it comes across aggressive and to smile more. And in like people generally use their hands a lot, but it's something I've seen a lot with within the black culture where we like we can be very animated when we talk. Not everyone, but there's it. It is something that I've seen a lot within the black community where we use our hands a lot. But surely that's is that that's in, in passion. A hundred percent. But but for some people, it comes across as um, aggressive or um, too much. Like she said that um, aggressive or intimidating. That's the word. She said that someone they told her that she can be quite intimidating. Um, and so ways that she can come across less intimidating um, is if she doesn't use her hands a lot when she talks and if she doesn't, um, if she smiles more. And she was just like, using my hands, she feels like her mum like mom does it, her sister does it. Um, and so I feel that that's one very small example of a lack of cultural awareness. Um, and even when it comes to black people's hair, where like one day we could have, like hair slicked back and it's our kind of natural hair another day we might have braids which is like down to our our kneecaps for example or we might have a wig or weave and just people's comments on on um hairstyles like oh gosh every day I see you've got a new hairstyle um which isn't necessarily for some people it all depends on relationship as well it might not necessarily be negative but for some people they internalize that and they don't like it and so I feel like that's what we talk about when I, I mention cultural awareness is understanding different people's lived experiences and knowing how to to navigate relationships and like manage conversations with them to make sure that everyone feels like they can bring their authentic self to the workplace as opposed to creating one idea of what um, professionalism is. I think authenticity and expression and, you know, cultural heritage is is so important uh it's you know it's it's our ident you know it's identity at the end of the day and it's you know i think feel like it needs to be encouraged and embraced it's so interesting chatting to you deborah um i want to chat about gender equality and women at work because i feel like you're a real expert in this area um and women are still really underrepresented at all levels of leadership we've got only 18.6 percent of executive committee members and 3.2 percent of ceo roles in the FTSE 250 now last week's guest joe fairley said that she had actually changed her mind about quotas and some forms of positive discrimination when she realized just how much sexism is still really ingrained in the business world where do you sit on this uh on this issue so it's interesting that you asked that because I've I've 
held different views at different points. And it was in a conversation that I had uh, with someone some time ago that I just, I was thinking to myself, it was, it was almost like a question. So it, it was, can um, equality really be achieved or equity really be achieved um, for women? Because the reason I was asking myself that question is I feel like historically women have been drip fed our rights um, enough to almost pacify women, but not enough to liberate us. Um, and what you, what we see is in positions of power, it, it's men majority of the time. And so how do we change the mindsets of these men to f- fully appreciate the need for equity, the need for change. I know amazing women that are doing work in this space that have conversations and we're still just here. Um, and the work that women have done before before us, I was reading the Declaration of Sentiments um, that started the women's movement in America. And it was, they wrote a list of 16 uh, things that women didn't receive at the time. Um, that men received and they were just asking to be treated as human beings Um, on that list was things to do with uh, voting rights it was um, they included kind of when women get married they are basically no longer an individual they are just kind of in this institution of marriage and belong almost to the, the the man and there was so many other things I just thought to myself okay they wrote that and women got their rights to vote well not all women initially um there was it was the like whole classism and there was like racism as well in it but eventually all women have got their rights yes we see more women represented in the workplace before women were only represented in certain areas which they call the five c's which um is like caring catering um clerk and two others which i can't remember at the moment and so now we see the progression but at the same time there's still so much that needs to be done. I mean, do you, do you think we need quotas at board level to even the playing field? Is Do you think that's, is, is that a good option? I feel like I understand why it was created because it was a way to measure the movement. Whenever I'm asked the question of why are we still having this conversation, unfortunately it is by men in positions of leadership that I've been asked it. But it, it's, it saddens me because I just feel like there's, we've had statistics that say it's going to take 202 years for us to achieve like equality. Do you know what I mean? So to say why we still have this conversation, it's just like, what world are you living in? I feel like there's, there's a need for representation and that's a really important part. But the problem that I've seen is I've spoken to women that are physical representations of diversity on boards in leadership that don't feel their voices are being heard. They don't feel they're being valued. And so quotas alone, I feel is not the solution. Um, but there's a part to play with regards to increasing the number. But also, I really want leaders to not see this as charitable and see it as real change, because sometimes it can feel like, okay, we're just getting this person here because we need to show diversity. There has to be merit. It has to also be done on merit. It can't, you know, you're so right, getting women into those places, isn't it? I mean, what do you think needs to change for us to reach gender equality? Big question for you, Deborah. I, I felt I feel like if equality means that a woman can achieve what a man has achieved, then it's not enough. I feel it's almost boarding the line of like 
or going towards equity and liberation in the sense that I want to to see a world, if I can, in my lifetime, where women can achieve whatever they want to achieve. So it's not that the the benchmark of success is how far a man has come. But when it comes to the question of how we get there, I still feel like there's a lot of conversation that needs to be had. Conversation that allows for people that are sceptical to really explain why they're sceptical so that we can we can do like a real real justice when it comes to educating because I feel like sometimes we're trying to educate people that have just have said no like in their minds it's no but we need to understand why is it no and maybe they don't even understand why it's no let's have a real conversation about it because then when we educate we understand what why we're educating and what we're educating if that makes sense as opposed to just having like a blanket unconscious bias training, for example, and expect that people are going to come out of that with no bias. No, like we need to understand why the bias exists and they need to understand why they have the bias and why they hold these ideas of women in their mind so we can help unpick that. It's the education, but then it's the following up with 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 the then changing and the understanding. Now, obviously the, the pandemic has brought the new era of uh, flexible working and hybrid working. Do you think this is a positive thing for women's careers? I just wanted to get your initial response because a few high-profile women have recently spoke out saying it could damage women's careers if they work from home while men return to the office. What is your opinion on that? I can only really speak on women that I've spoken to and, and their experiences and also my experience. Um, I feel like I've spoken to women that have really uh, excelled during this period and they have been the most productive they've ever been um, and they've really enjoyed it. But I've also spoken to women who, especially during the time where they were kind of battling with the um, working from home and having children at home, kind of period where they were doing the schooling um, and working as well, that it was extremely difficult. So I feel like there are so many different elements to it. I don't feel like we there is one answer for everyone. So Deborah, this week is Equal Pay Day. How do you think we solve this ongoing inequality? Because it is beyond a joke. Yeah. The initial response to that, I actually don't know. It's such a tough one, this, when you, when yeah. you look at the figures and you realise that literally from a point this week, women are not paid for the rest of the year, whereas men are because of the discrepancies it's, yeah I can't believe that in 2021 we're still having this we're conversation still, that's the thing like it really bothers me that we're still having this conversation and when it almost feels like we're just at the point where we're trying to create a solution or, or trying to figure out what the solution is but it's like why did we not have this conversation a lot sooner like why are we not further but obviously we can't focus on that because now we need to do something also, but I feel it just something. takes us forever to do things. You know, we're, 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 yeah, yeah, I see yeah. a problem, we talk about it for ages, but then it's the action become, comes so much later. And I think this is also something that I'm really passionate about when, in terms of with, with Femme Foundry. It's like, if you know, if, we have, if we're talking about these issues, it's like, let's have the conversation, but then let's take action. It's so hard to, to answer. Like, I, I just Sorry. feel like there it's is... An, no, no, it's, it's just a there's one, so yeah. much. Yeah, there, there's, yeah, there's so much that needs to change. I don't know if it could happen. Like, if there's one thing that could change everything. But all the people that sit in positions of power that are just sitting in positions of power and not doing um, for their 
for their eyes to be open to the reality of the world that we live in and the problems that we're experiencing because they are the people that are in the power to say we are going to change this and unless we have the buy-in from them we're just going to be be talking forever because we need them to say okay I see the need for change and I'm going to put this much amount of money time resources to making sure the change happens what often you see is I'm going to write a great statement in our end of year report that says why diversity is important. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it needs that, to be actions, just, not, not just virtue signaling, you know? Yeah. So if the one could change, like could just open their eyes to see the problems, to understand the problems, I feel then we're in a position to say, okay, here are the actions and this is what we can do moving forward. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's often brought up around equal pay is negotiation, that women in general, we don't push as much for pay rises in the way, way that men do uh, or that we, you know, kind of ask for ask for less. What is your opinion on, on this? I've spoken to a lot of women that have um, been in that position where they didn't ask um, or they asked for less. And I feel like it... There's a part to play with regards to ourselves and the women that are, are not are selling themselves short and um, our ability to kind of support the empowerment of the women. So not just doing great events to empower them and talk about how you can negotiate, but supporting them through that journey as well. Um, But then there's also with regards to like managers and leaders, seeing the worth in their staff and saying, okay, I know, like I saw um, someone recently posted on LinkedIn and they said that, they went for a job interview for a specific job and the person interviewing for them said that you're not right for this job, but you're right for this one. And it was a higher paid job, a more senior job. That type of stuff I feel was really important. How 100%. do you think men can support their colleagues and be allies at work? Listen, listen to understand, not listen to defend your position or um, to question in a way that is trying to disprove someone else's experience. Listen to truly understand I've seen where people always talk about speak people's names in rooms that they are not in. Yeah. Like don't just be an ally in the sense that, yeah, where you're just speaking to them and you're supporting them from the sidelines, actually go out of your way to invite them into rooms as well, where they can like, it can enhance their awareness, their knowledge, um, especially when you're in a position of leadership. Mm -hmm. If you see a leadership quality in someone, don't just sit on it and let them sit on it, especially if they are in um, any of the kind of, marginalized groups bring them along with you and help grow them as opposed to just leaving it to them because there's so many reasons why we hold ourselves back because of the fact that we have been marginalized for so long so see like listen speak their names in rooms where they're not there and invite them into rooms where they can learn where they can build their knowledge they can network they can connect you know what I mean um, also they've got yeah. the power to do it so it's just it's, it's about taking that action exactly. isn't it it's about exactly. seeing that there's a problem and 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 just and seeing what a situation for what it is and then taking action and it, I think not everyone's always willing to do that and I just no. sometimes I really don't understand that like why is that not yeah, an instinct yeah. you know yeah um, a lot of women, you know, cite off, um, a lot of women cite having time off, having for having children, returning to work from maternity leave is a quite a tricky time in their careers. What advice uh, would you give these women having just had your son uh, 17 months ago and, and actually also your return to work? So my return to work was different because I run my own organisation, but I've spoken to so many women that have either 
tried to hide their pregnancy for as long as they could because they didn't want their boss to know um, that they were pregnant. Um, or when they've returned back to work. Do you know what the interesting thing is? I feel like for a lot of women, motherhood creates a different sense of um, purpose, realisation in of the world and responsibility that is, is something that you can't even put into words. So having that responsibility and that new sense of purpose and then going back to work can be such a difficult time. And I feel like we just have to be kind to ourselves. Mum guilt is a real thing and pe- it's parent guilt as well because there's some men that I've spoken to that had the same experience is a real thing. And we just need to be kind to ourselves and really um, be truthful as well. Like when you go back to work, I would always say if you're struggling, let like your manager or someone around let you know that you're struggling. Yeah, like yeah. don't just go back and, and think that everyone's expecting you to just be the same person you were before because you've changed in so many ways. And I always feel like it's important to bring your colleagues, your managers along that journey with you, because even in the, the change, so much of it can be so great for your like the role that you're going to play in your organisation as well. I mean, that's also very helpful for me as someone who's eight months pregnant. <laughs> oh, congratulations. And, and, and who hid my, I hid my pregnancy for, uh, well, because I, I work in, you know, obviously TV and broadcast and I was just really worried about sharing it because I didn't want people to make decisions based on, on the fact that I was pregnant because I was pregnant. Yeah. So I actually didn't announce it until I was like six and a half months, which is really late. So there's only yeah, been yeah. six weeks that people have really known about it. No. But it, it's, I think it's a real you know, it's a real like worry, especially, you know, for me being self-employed, but that kind of, you know, your life has changed and, you know, yes, you are the same person, but as you say, like things have, you know, things have changed. And that's fine. Like that it's, it's a, like, it's a great thing to, to be able to, to experience that change and live in it. I feel like what happens is people have changed, but then they go back to work and they think I need to be who I was before. So they don't even realize that I've been off for whether it's six months, nine months, or however long the maternity leave is, I just need to go and fit in again because I don't want them to hold me being a parent on my head. So some people I've spoken to, they don't speak their children's name at work. They don't ask for like time off related to their children, or if they do, they say it's something else. So that they they aren't constantly seen through the lens of a parent like a mum what do you think organizations can do to better support working mothers and people who are like recently returning to work it's important to to um have really candid conversation with any employee from the time you know they're they're pregnant to the time that they're about to go off for maternity leave to let them know that we are here we're ready to support you and you have to allow each person to navigate their journey of work and motherhood they're on their own, but you have to be there to support their journey. Do you know what I mean? Like, if if that means one one person, one mother works uh, at, from eight to three because she needs to jet off, but then another mother says, I can work from nine to five still. You don't paint every mum with the same brush and say that you have to, well, this person can do eight to three, so why can't, or this person can do nine to five, why can't you do nine to five? No, because their journey in motherhood is different. And there needs to be conversation also. I want to just talk, we've touched on it there, invisible bias. What can we do to be aware of our bias and how can we stop it from affecting decisions at work? Again, I feel like a big part of it is conversations um, to understand the different types of biases that can exist. Because naturally, I feel like people automatically be like, I don't have any bias. Like that's a natural kind of response. Um, But when you understand how biases can 
like crop up and the different things that um, can show the bias. I feel like it's important to to be aware of that beforehand so that when it does, if it ever does come up, you can like um, reflect immediately because I feel like it's the reflection part that is is um, affecting a lot of people because they don't reflect quickly or often enough to appreciate that they do have biases. But again, I would, I feel like having conversations, whether it's with people that you're close to or um, in like colleagues, if you're close to them, to just say like, actually, the other day I thought this and this is how it makes me feel. And I've realised that I hold a bias towards this group of people, for example. Um, there was a, a guy who he shared on social media that he has adopted a black daughter, like a black girl, and so he's got a black daughter. But when he was walking past the bus stop, he saw an elderly white woman and a black man in a hood. And he stood at the bus stop until the the elderly white woman got on the bus. And he went home and he just was like, why did I do that? Like, he's got a black daughter, but still he held a bias against this man because of the way he appeared. But he spoke it. He spoke about it and he was able to check himself. Do you know what I mean? He didn't just like brush it to the back of his mind and say, like, it's nothing. He actually spoke it out. And that's why I feel it's so important. I think having awareness and self-awareness is such an important part of our journeys and our, and how we evolve as as, as humans. Um, yeah. Deborah, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. No, uh, it's amazing. We here at Femme Foundry, we have um, our pillars, which I'm sure you are aware of, which are mental health, physical health, spiritual health and financial health. This is our quick fire round that I just want to get from you your best advice on each what do you do to look after your physical health <laughs> um so such a good uh, thing that i don't know where you're gonna go with this <laughs> uh, i should be doing a lot more than i do um after the reality is after being a mum or after giving birth not after being a mum after giving birth i just ate and <laughs> i've just been <laughs> Like literally, it's hungry stuff being a mum, Deborah. (laughs) (laughs) But normally, like I would like to work out consistently at least three to four times a week, just because it also makes me feel good. Um, And now I've started to go back to it, and it's also a nice time to be away from mum duties and work duties, and just be in my own space and feel good physically, other than the next day when it really hurts. But on the day. It feels good. Um, But then also I'm trying to be more conscious about what I take in and what I eat and educating myself on um, nutrition. Because I feel like it's not something that I know a lot about and it's not something that I feel you get taught a lot about with regards to the importance of different types of food and and how they can help. And I love that in terms of um, 80% good, 20% bad. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a good rule and a, a nutritionist that I work with for fertility stuff she's she's always said that and, and I think oh, really? that, yeah and I that always sticks at my in my in my head and so what is your best advice on spiritual health are you a spiritual person would you say I grew up Christian um and I've had a journey when it comes to Christianity um that is my kind of my experience of spirit spirituality and I just feel like I'm still learning I'm still growing in it and I'm just getting comfortable with the fact that there are going to be so many things that I don't know and I don't understand and that's fine and it's just trying to create the best version of myself every day um, and be just aware of 
every day because I know a lot of people say like life is short and it is but I just feel like there is so much in the moment that's so beautiful that we often don't grasp or like really have the chance to experience and I feel like even with COVID that's something that it allowed a lot of people to do which is why I've spoken to countless amounts of people that have changed jobs left work work because there's a new sense of of um purpose that comes when you're still and so I'm trying my hardest to just be still as much as I can and be in the moment and experience life learning um family relationships all sorts just as it comes basically I love that and finally how do you look after your financial health my husband (laughs) he (laughs) he yeah he encouraged me to start saving and it was such a struggle because I was just like why I've got this money and I see this this dress or I see this bag or like I'm hungry like why do I have to say do you know what I mean but at the same time having more conversations with him really helped me to understand um the power in saving budgeting and yes living in the moment but planning for the future so yeah that's what I do He's a good, good husband. It's funny because actually a lot, a lot of, a lot of women, you know, we, it's financial health is something that, you know, we always stumble on and actually, you know, we're not taught it in school. You know, we're not taught how to manage our finances, credit cards, like saving everything. And I think it's something that's, we're really, really passionate about here uh, at Fem Foundry in terms of like empowering ourselves and being able to be independent and making our own decisions. Um, Well, Deborah, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming on uh, profoundly. No, thank you. Uh, thank I've you really, for having really me. enjoyed it. And we are actually doing a partnership with the Women's Association on the 9th of December at 7.30 in the evening on uh, Zoom, which will be available in the app. Uh, so we'll be talking all about their um, gender equality, won't we? It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be great. We've got a great lineup of speakers um, and we're going to be talking about uh, specifically the pressure to be perfect when it comes to kind of running um, your own business and this idea that this whole kind of, um, you know, how people make this lifestyle, waking up at 5.30 and and having like back-to-back days and they make it glamorised. But in actual fact, there is so much that goes into running the business and running your own thing like anyway. And so we're just trying to get into the realities of running the business and how we can take off the pressure um, from kind of glamorising it on social media and stuff. So it's going to be great. I'm really excited for that. Uh, So we'll be sharing all of the details from that. But uh, Deborah, thank you so much for coming on Profoundly. Thank you, Pips. Thank you. Oh, a real champion of women and acting to change. A huge thanks to Deborah Williams for coming on profoundly this week. Now, here at Fem Foundry, I know you know that we like to bring some words of wisdom around our four pillars financial health, spiritual health, mental health, and of course, physical health. Now, for this week, here is entrepreneur Jo Fairley on looking after her financial health. Well, do you know, I had an exercise recently where I went through and I cancelled all the apps and all of the kind of, you know, you get, you build, you have these standing orders that go through your bank account every single month. And for one reason, I had to go through my, all my bank statements, you know, with a fine tooth comb looking for something. I was like, you know, that's 7 99 that I'm paying every month for that, which I'm no longer using. 
over a year, it's like 90 quid. And so I think a, a kind of financial MOT every six months, just to make sure that you're not paying for anything you don't use, can it honestly all adds up so quickly. So, so yeah, I would say, well, see where the money goes. And, and I mean, that's on a kind of tiny scale, but, but it does all add up. I think I've just saved a fortune on that tip. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks for listening to Profoundly this week and a big thank you to my guest, Deborah Williams. Now, Femme Foundry are doing a digital partnership with the Women's Association, which is on the 9th of December in the Femme Foundry app. So just download it for more details. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Give us a follow on Instagram if you can at Femme Foundry app. And I'll see you next week.